0: Are you ready? It's time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. You heard it. It is time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gray, here with my co-host, Tom Abbey. Hello. Cheers, everyone. How we doing? The Wednesday after the draft, huh? Oh, yeah. A lot to sort out. Yeah. Uh, Plenty of excitement over the weekend for uh, those of us that are draft junkies. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about what we're going to have on the agenda tonight, huh? All right. We're going to talk a little bit about the Wells Fargo. Uh, Very fun course. Uh, Very challenging. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs that are coming up. We're going to go over the format a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk about the teams as they are and the playoff races. A week and a half, that's it, left in the NBA season. Uh, We're going to talk about the draft, of course. We're going to give our favorite draft classes, talk about maybe some of the biggest reaches, and the day three pick that we liked the most. Yeah. Always fun to try to find a a diamond in the rough from the draft. That's one of my favorite things to do. Find Aladdin in here. Yeah. So uh, let's kick it right off. Uh, Let's recap uh, the Valspar Valspar from last weekend. Uh, Sam Burns gets his first win on the PGA Tour. Yeah, um, it was tough. I'm not sure many people had him to win. Uh, kind of tough to see that coming. I think it happens a lot when it's a player's first victory. It's kind of hard to see that coming real close. Sunday morning, I uh, jumped on and was trying to see what the live odds were in the event. And I saw Sam Burns at plus 250, so I took a shot. i him, took to a swing and uh, he came out on top. So uh, sometimes you can just, as you're watching a golf tournament unfold, you yeah. can see somebody who's just striking the ball extraordinarily well. Um, Keegan Bradley, you know, for all of his successes, he's been around a long time, and he's not really winning much on tour anymore. So I thought this was a good opportunity for a young up and comer, a young up and comer with a uh, right. not not like a an elite field, uh, climbing up his tail on Sunday. So uh, Sam Burns was a nice player there on Sunday, and and it was you got to give the kid credit; he played great and uh, deserved to come out on top. So this weekend we've got the Wells Fargo. So this is an event that uh, it has, you know, a, an illustrious history at Quail Hollow. Uh, some big name winners on the list in the past. Max Holm, I think, in 2019, and then it was canceled last year. Last year, um, McIlroy has won this event in the past. So you've got certainly some recognizable names there. And we were talking about the course layout, and you know, it's pretty long and it's going to require guys to, you know, want to take it deep. So, you know, kind of a, a good angle to look at here this week is who can hit it long and, you know, hopefully stay out of some trouble with their with their length. So, Tom, did you have any anyone that really stood out to you on the betting board um, as plays that you wanted to get on this week? So as a long, uh, kind of a longer shot, there was one that we were looking at, um, and he doesn't necessarily fit some of this, but I'm trying to find him here on the odds, yeah, Harold Varner III, this is his home course, plays it all the time, and he's plus, where is he at, plus 8,000, so I'm going to throw a little bit there, I think uh, guys play well at their home course, they know stuff about it that other guys may not know, but he's going to be one I throw some money on, just, again, home course and a big swing at 8,000 for a pretty good golfer. Right. So I'm taking a look here at, at some of the odds boards and, and trying to find guys that I would and wouldn't play. Yeah. You know, for example, like Gary Woodland, he's playing so poorly right now. I don't know how you can even put your money on him. You know, like those type of plays don't make any sense to me. But when you look at the driving distance stats and guys who are playing pretty well, you have to go back to Will Zalatoris at plus twenty five hundred here, and he's going to be on my ticket this weekend. Um, he hits it out there. He's in the top twenty in driving distance on the PGA Tour, and he's plus twenty five hundred this weekend. I think we're going to expect to see him near the top of leaderboards week in and week out moving forward. And with his game being sharp at this time, coming off that effort at the Masters, I think that this is a good opportunity for him to close one out. So I like Will Zalatoris at plus 2,500. And then, you know, looking for somebody who kind of gets it out there and um, has some success. You know, it's tough because you're looking for a price and somebody who has good recent form, it's hard right. to see here against this board. The, the board is really strong at the top. So, you know, you yeah. have Justin Thomas at plus 1,100, Rom at plus 1,100, DeChambeau plus 1,400. Yeah, and there's something like 10 out of the top 15 uh, players are going to be playing this week. So definitely a lot of good um, players out there available. So uh, that waters it down, but also creates room where some of these better golfers get moved to the middle a little bit with some better odds. Um, You just got to find those guys where their skill set meshes with a good value. I think Joaquin Neiman is another good play this week. Uh, When you look at uh, Neiman, he is coming in at plus 3,500, and he's he's number 11 on the PGA Tour in driving distance. Um, He's shown recent form that's pretty solid. To me, it makes sense. He's not a huge play. Um, And, you know, I'll throw in a big swing here towards the end as well. On, you know, I'll find one while Tom's giving his picks here that I think has an opportunity that, uh, you know, has the driving distance kind of thing that we're looking for this week in recent form, like I said, is is a really kind of important stat uh, here for me coming into this event. Who else you got for us, Tom? Looking here, I don't see Matt Wolf on here, is he not? Playing? I think he might be out. Well, that's not fun. One second, I gotta regroup and find someone else here. Um, Joaquin Neiman at 3,500. That's what I just gave, Tom. Oh, Good lord, <laughs> are you awake yet? I'm awake, I'm trying to find my guy on here. He's not on there. <laughs> Good god, Tom tries to just climb right on top of me. I'm still, <laughs> I still probably gonna play it. <laughs> I, I mean, that's not bad. and... Is uh, Cameron Champ playing this weekend? Uh, let's take a peek. I would assume that he would be. But uh, nah, I don't see him on the last board right now. Um, yeah, I'm not on here. Just wait, no, he's not. Interesting that he wouldn't be on here. I'm surprised that he's not playing this event. Jason Day is at 5,500. Um, he's been improving for sure. He... He's one of those ones where it seems like he's getting back to form and you might want to hop on it before he gets there. After he gets there, it may be uh, too late to make any money off him. Yeah. I don't know. There's not a lot of these guys that I actually like this week, except for the the top group, which, you know, don't don't excite me as much for, for throwing out picks. Yeah. Well, I'm going to sit on uh, Zalatoris and... Uh, Joaquin Neiman is my two picks this week, and then if you want to take a swing with someone down the board a little ways, sometimes it it's uh, fruitless to, to make those efforts, in a field that's really strong. Yeah, you know, typically I love to give out a pick that's a little bit longer, but my sweet spot to me is the guys that are like around 50 to one. You know, the yeah. the guys that are sitting about plus 5,000. Those are usually the ones that you can find you can steal some value in or you know, anywhere in that range. It's when you start when you start grasping at straws down the board, you're going to get a lot less winners. Like Cameron Davis, here's, here's an example. Cameron Davis is in the top five in, in driving distance on the PGA Tour, plus 12,500. So if you want to take one of those off-the-board shots on somebody who bombs it, take yeah. a shot on Cameron Davis. if I hate this board. This keeps scrolling through, not liking anything. It could take my typical Tony Finau fall at 2800. Go ahead. You're going to ride until his wheels fall off. But someday it's going to hit. It's going to be awesome. What do we got next? Let's talk basketball. So let's uh, go over the format. I know we talked about it when it first came out, but it's, it's unique this year, so definitely want to go over that again, make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, so the format, the top six are in up 6 teams in the east up 6 teams in the west make the playoffs 7 through 10 play in a like a ladder style right uh, 7 and 8 terms. 7 and 8 play each other and uh, the winner of that game advances to as the as the 7 yep. seed um, 9 and 10 play each other the winner of that faces the loser of the 7 8 game and the winner of the that matchup would then advance as the eight seed. And these are single games, right? These are not right little playoff series. It's a right. It's a one and done kind of thing, which I think um, creates some excitement down there at the bottom of that. I mean, right? You could have, you know, this one of the seven or eight seeds are going to make it. but you could have it where the ten seed gets in and the eight seed and the seven seed doesn't even make the playoffs. Right. Um. LeBron James has been very vocal about not liking this format, I think, as your team is sitting sixth, one game away from being in that bracket. Right. I don't understand why. Um, but I think it's something fun they tried to do to change the season, and, and they knew that there was a chance that teams were going to be missing games and it could get a little wonky with COVID. Luckily, that hasn't really happened. Um, but they were safeguarding and making it so a team who misses a bunch of games and misses a bunch of players for a long stretch, would still be able to find their way in if they were good enough. So I think it was smart at the time, no doubt. So let's talk a little bit about the odds to win the NBA championship right now, Brooklyn is the favorite to win the NBA championship right now at plus 200. Yeah. So you've got three superstars, if you will, on that team that uh, are all ball-dominant. I don't know that I buy the meshing of this group as much as I would. I love Jake Marisny, by the way. <laughs> Um as much as as much as I have with some of the other big three groups yeah. in the past. So when you had Wade and Bosch and James, Compliment their games complemented yeah. well. When you these three, I'm not sure of that. I mean, you've got. Harden can slash when he wants to, but he chucks up a ton of threes. Durant doesn't really seem to have much interest in driving to the bucket these days either. He's a jump shot guy. Yeah. And Kyrie Irving tries to drive and create and he's got great handle. Oh, he's amazing. But he uh he got kind of locked up the other day by uh, Drew Holiday against yeah. the Bucks. They he played great defense against him. So when I look at plus 200 man, that is so cheap for that particular team and i'm not necessarily all about it i think this is one of the better value boards you can get for an nba championship team because i don't buy the nets as the nba champions. or the number two the number two is the lakers yeah plus 325 and we just mentioned they're in sixth place they're in danger of not even making the playoffs right now um depending on how the next week and a half goes they're plus at 325 anybody behind them is a better bet yeah um so who are some of them right after? The Clippers at plus 500. The Bucks at plus 800. And then... It gets even Here's more one way. that stands out to me, Tom. Plus 1,400 for the Phoenix Suns, who've got the best record in the NBA. Yeah. They're playing great basketball. They're exciting. They're led by a veteran leader in yeah. Chris Paul. Devin Booker has come into his own. They've got a big man in DeAndre Ayton. And they've got some ancillary pieces on their roster. Plus 1,400... For the best record in the NBA going into the playoffs, yeah, seems ridiculous, doesn't it? And then the Sixers with the best record in the East are plus twelve hundred. Yeah, I mean, craziness. It is crazy, and I would much sooner put some money down on Suns and Sixers than I would on the Nets. Uh, I mean, I just don't, I don't buy it. And the struggling Lakers, you know. Yeah. Granted, LeBron has been out. They haven't had their full complement of players. Can they just flip the switch come playoff time? At some point, Father Time is going to catch up, and they're not going to be able to do that anymore. Yeah. And the, even the Jazz at plus 750 is better. Jazz actually tied with the Suns for the best record right now. Um, the only fear I have with the Jazz Pound is they shoot like a million three-pointers a game, and they're sure. so reliant on that that if they struggle, they're, you know, the, it puts them in a rough place. So Yeah, if you have a couple games in a row, obviously it obviously puts you in a hole, but it's what they do well. Um, yeah. It's very gonna be. It's gonna be very interesting. I love the NBA playoffs. Are so much fun. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, let's talk a little bit about the races here at the end. Um, for in the West. Uh, we just mentioned the Suns and Jazz are actually tied for the first. Um, so that's crazy. And then we have a little bit of a gap after that, and then a big gap between four and five. Nuggets are at four, four games behind the Suns and Jazz. Uh, five is the Mavericks, ten games behind. So there's the, there's a the gap there. And at the end, 8, 9, and 10 all separated by one game. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun to see that kind of shake out and who plays who and kind of how that works. Right. Um, right now, if you're looking at teams, let's say, 6 to through 10 on either side, east or west. Which team do you think has the ability to run all the way to the NBA Finals? Miami Heat. Yeah. If they're healthy and they pull it together in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they have the op- the ability and the the. I, Jimmy Butler was great in the bubble. Yeah. They they played so well, and they play nasty and they play good defense and those are the keys I think to being successful come playoff time, and I'm not sure the East isn't still a little soft. Yeah, I agree. I think the East is more wide open, um, which is why I would th- I would say probably the Celtics. I think Tatum is just. And Watching him play the last few weeks have been has been nasty. Yeah. He has the ability He has that ability to take over a full game and just win it. They're like, nope, not losing today, see ya. Yeah, they put it out on the magic today too. Yeah. Was that a final? one thirty two to ninety six. Woof. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at there's uh, certain things that I like to look at and can you defend the three ball? And yeah. can you shoot the three ball? I think those are very important things currently in the landscape that we're in in the NBA. I'm just taking a quick look here at the Celtics team stats. Right now, they shoot the three ball at the ninth best in the NBA. Defensively, that is where they've struggled, though. They've, uh, they're number 22 in the league against the three pointer. So that's where I would, you know, their defensive side of the ball, which typically has been very good for Boston over the years. Has lagged a little bit, and I think that's kind of where some of their struggles have come from. Can they turn it on come playoff time? I was high on them going into the season, obviously. Uh, You know, I had them in the NBA Finals against the Lakers, and uh, you know, I thought we might get that old school matchup, which you know, we we talked about a little bit on the uh, podcast we had back in December for previewing the NBA season. So, but I, I, you know, I do see that um, they're really good at uh, at getting their rebounds, and, you know, they don't allow any kind of action in the paint. So, you know, if you're forcing teams to shoot it from the outside, they certainly could do that. And then, you know, you look at teams like the Brooklyn Nets, who we've been talking about here. They shoot the ball, the three-pointer, they're number five in the NBA in shooting percentage from downtown. uh and they're number seventeen in defending it. They don't show much of anything defensively. They're not in the top ten in any single statistical category. They rely solely on offense, and we've seen this historically. That yeah. that, that becomes a problem come playoff time. They are number one in the league in shooting percentage, though. So it mean, helps. There's that. What else you got for us here, Tom? For the NBA? Yeah. I think that's it for the NBA. I'm just I'm really excited to see the matchups. Of course, we'll talk about them when they get closer and they start coming out. And um, it should be a lot of fun. We love to bet series. Yeah. I think uh, and the NBA game to game can be tough because these teams get so it, it, there's a lot of alternating stuff too. Yeah, but if you can bet a series, it's a it's a lot more fun to get your money in on a team you think's better and, and wear them out before the playoffs start. Let's rehash what, what our bold predictions were. Okay. Uh, in the episode we had on December 30th, my bold prediction was that the Hawks, Trey Young, would lead the Hawks to the playoffs and they would win a series. Now, as a Knicks fan, boy, oh boy, that prophecy could infuriate me come two weeks from now.
1: <laughs> um, me too.
0: But uh, if they fall to the sixth seed, eh, you yeah, know, not so bad. Knock out the number three seed, make me feel good about things. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but they're definitely in the playoffs. So you got half of it right already. Halfway there. Halfway there, as Bon Jovi would say. And uh, mine was that the Lakers would miss the conference championship. Uh, as we stated, struggling. You know, they're the, the sixth seed right now. Could very well end up missing the playoffs if things don't go well the next couple of weeks for them. So it um, should be interesting to see how that shakes out. Right. So, um, let's, let's take a quick break here, Tom, actually, before we come back, um, because we're going to talk, we're going to jump into NBA draft stuff. I want to be able to segment that for our NFL people, uh, yes. so they know where to start the pod tonight if they don't want to hear our NBA and golf ramblings. Yeah. Um, but before we take the break, a real quick shout-out, happy birthday to our good friend Tom Lyon from Lyon yes. Global. Happy um, birthday, sir. Hope you have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you for all you do for us. Also, um... Uh, UFC this weekend, our boy Gregor Gillespie back against Diego Fajeda. Um, I'm ecstatic to watch that fight. The card doesn't have a ton of great stuff on it, but I don't care. I'll be no. locked in. <laughs> Gregor's the man. I will be locked in on Saturday night um, to, to get our boy from Webster home. Uh, let's let's get a finish of this Fajeda. Yes. Back on the horse, back win and fight. Let's go. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be right back after a quick break. That's right, Guy Fieri doesn't pull punches. Damn right you don't. We're back from break, talking about buffalo mac and cheese. Wishing we were in Flavortown right now. Always wish I was in Flavortown. <laughs> this diet's kicking my balls. Yeah, diets are uh, rough, sometimes necessary, evil. Yeah, undoubtedly necessary. <laughs> Take a look at the, the, the video the podcast <laughs> we just had last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, let's jump into... Some draft reactions here. Nice. I'm excited to talk NFL draft. Uh, it was as always. Yeah, I mean, I can talk about NFL draft in June. Yeah. We'll, we'll start doing 2022 draft podcast. Yeah, we'll give ourselves a couple weeks off and then yeah, start building that big board. Absolutely. All right, <clears throat> let's get started, Tom. What What do you have? You post some questions that I really liked when you put together the agenda this week. Thank you. Uh, favorite draft class was the first one. Yeah. Let's start there. Okay, so I'll give you my favorite draft class. You go, and uh, we don't have to go too far. Just about uh, three hours down the ninety, and uh, go to Cleveland, because they took Greg Newsom, my second favorite corner in this draft. Yeah, at twenty six, he was getting awfully close to my bills at thirty, and I was getting a little excited. Then at fifty two, they get Jeremiah Wusu Karamo, who is an athletic freak. Absolutely. Played crazy for Notre Dame in a lot of big games, a lot of big plays for them. Yeah. Um, third round, they take Anthony Schwartz, the fastest man in the draft. Yeah. Absolutely lightning. Makes big, explosive plays, even in an Auburn offense that was pedestrian. So, you know, that that is a... You add him to the mix in the wide receiver group that they have there in Cleveland already. Yeah. with Jarvis Landry and Odell And let's preface this a little bit. When we talk a little bit about the, the reason that we select draft classes, there are a few that, that hit towards the top of my board. I like Carolinas. I had to disqualify them because they took J.C. Horn at number eight, which I think was one of the bigger reaches in the draft. I I did not like J.C. Horn going yeah. as the first corner. Um, as I talked about, I don't like guys that don't tackle. But, but a lot of teams don't put that as much on the corners, depending on their right. style of defense. They much more prefer... The cover corner. Right. So, he's definitely a cover corner. He is, without a doubt. Yeah. And uh, when I look, you, you got to determine situationally, does it fit their needs yes. as a team, and did they get good value with the selections? Yes. So when you can combine those two things, now you've got a great draft class. So for me, Anthony Schwartz at, at pick number three for Cleveland. James Hudson, a big, strong tackle prospect out of Cincinnati. Then they get Tommy Togiai from Ohio State in the fourth round. Big nose tackle, -tackle. D-tackle. Tom, you were a big fan of him in the draft process. So, super strong, moving people, um, beating double-team. Like, there's a couple videos of him online of people double-teaming him and driving both the guard and center into the backfield, which is crazy to see. I mean, I had them taking Christian Barmore in round one in our mock draft, but they get Tommy Togia here in the fourth round instead after being able to add Greg Newsom at 26, which I don't think they thought he'd be there at that point. So, you know, I think that was a really nice pick. Tony Fields uh, in the fifth round, you know I was high on him. His yeah. productivity was off the charts at West Virginia. So I think that was a great pick. Richard LeCount um, in the fifth round, another guy that I really liked uh, coming out of Georgia. And then Demet- Demetric Felton out of UCLA, who was going to play some wide receiver at the next level, played some running back. He's a do-it-all kind of guy. If you watch him at the Senior Bowl, he was one of the most explosive players on the football field. So you get that guy and you add him to their weapon group on the offensive side of the ball. Boy, this team is just... There's a lot to deal with in Cleveland now. And overall, I think that the class fit their needs with great value all throughout the draft. Yeah, uh, definitely one of the better ones. Um, We talked about it before the pod or after it started. I can't even remember which now, But... Cleveland is putting something together that's going to be tough to deal with in the AFC. I mean, they were getting better all last year, and they've added pieces through free agency and now through the draft where uh, they just seem like they're going to be really scary. So um, might be a lot of fun in the AFC in the next few seasons. And they're going to be one of the teams in the mix. So, By the way, I hope we didn't pick the same reach uh, when we get there. We'll see. Same reach? Uh, huh? We'll see. I yeah. think I think it's possible that we did, so we'll see. Um. My favorite draft, and I have to give Kev's Dolphins a shout-out. They're a prime consideration for this, but not to disqualify them because they had so many picks up top, but you have to take that into consideration. Like, Okay, you have so many picks up top, of course, you're going to have a lot of flashy names. Um, So I landed on the Denver Broncos. I know this is another one that Kevin loved as well. Um, Their first four picks alone just make me happy. Yeah. Um, First, they get Patrick Sertan what we both consider the number one uh, corner in the draft at number nine. Follow that up with Javante Williams, who's one of the top three running backs, depending on your list. He could be anywhere, one, two, or three. Right. And he's just very, he, out of the three, he's probably the most all-around running back. Um, Quinn Miners, everyone's man crush from the NFL draft process. Um, in the third round, just a, a beast of a man. It would be a lot of fun to see him come to the NFL. And then one of the guys I loved in the draft, Baron Browning, also in the third round from Ohio State, a linebacker, um, super athletic, and be able to play in space for them. Then they go and you know Caden Stearns, Jamar Johnson, they double down on some secondary help, uh, some safeties, and then they get a guy named Seth Williams out of Auburn. Uh, Kevin, Auburn guy, what do you what do you got for me on him? He's gonna win footballs in the at the NFL level yeah. too. He did it all throughout his college career. He wins the football in contested situations. He was always the go-to man at Auburn. They were not a competent passing team for the most part. Without Seth Williams, they looked absolutely embarrassing yeah. as a passing team. But he elevated their passing game in many situations. So people have overlooked him because he's not ultimately super fast. Right. Um, he's not exactly a clean catcher of, of the ball all the time. He's not extraordinarily quick. None of those things... <laughs> He's six foot three, six, somewhere yeah. in there, physical, wins the ball at the point a lot. And he finds a way to get separation. Those things are going to translate to the next level, and he's going to have success. He competed against the best yeah. throughout a, his career. He's a really good contested catch guy, which you see time and time again uh, well, watching him play. Yeah. Um, and then they do something I love when teams do. They have three seventh round picks. Okay. Seventh round picks are, you know. If every draft picks a dart throw, this is a dart yeah. throw from across the alley. But they went and they went with big schools, getting Kerry Vincent Corner from LSU, Jonathan Cooper, DN end of Ohio State. Which if you watch Ohio State the last few years, he flashes from time to time. Yeah, seems to have a little inconsistency issues. And then Marquis Spencer, another DN out of Mississippi State. So I think top to bottom, I think the top of the draft for them is just full of guys who should be starters and stars in this in the NFL. And then they filled it out with got with prospects with huge upside going to big schools. Yeah. Big trait kind of guys. They saw something in Caden Stearns like I did through the you know, yeah. I had Caden Stearns valued higher than many other safeties in this draft. So I like that pick for them in the fifth round. So um really good. Um now let's talk about our biggest reach yes in, in the NFL draft class and I'll jump right in here. Um, let's talk about what makes it a reach. Yes yeah. in our it, eyes. Here. It's, it's gotta be someone who is in one of the early rounds, we're not gonna I'm not gonna call someone a reach that was selected in round four or round five. Yeah. Because maybe they saw something in that person's athletic traits that fit their scheme. Yes. It's the same thing the, the panning of the Nishon right pick in Dallas to me, I don't think it was a good I don't think it's a good play by the media to get on Dallas's case for making that selection, because there's something in his traits that they saw. So Sometimes just because someone doesn't test well athletically doesn't mean they can't perform on the football field. Right. And he was a he was a football field production guy. And in the fourth round, it's okay to go with production guys and guys that not necessarily met the measurables that you typically want. Right. You can't do that in the first and second round though. First and second round, you got to make money picks. Yeah. Um, and I agree wholeheartedly. These are guys that maybe. Went too early in the first, or went in the first or second round where we thought maybe they'd be day three guys. Um, and to be honest, I thought these teams did pretty well this year. Uh, there's a couple guys. Obviously, we're gonna we each have one, um, but that you know it's not as obvious as it's been in some years. Uh, looking at you uh, now, Las Vegas Raiders. Sometimes you make this easy. Yeah, and you know a lot of people were on the Alex Hunter would pick. That's not my selection as the reach here. Me neither. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't like that, but I, I, I kind of do. I think he's he has versatility, and he wasn't gonna last till the end of the first round. I don't think. I think somewhere he was gonna go, yeah. And he fit what they needed there, and has that that versatility can really not be overstated at, at the offensive line positions. It allows you to carry another player on your roster at a different position, mm-hmm. and really good GMs and really good head coaches love that in young players. Um, If you're able to play multiple positions in the offensive line or multiple positions in the secondary, that allows you to carry another wideout or another running back that can do gadget things for you, and teams love it. So my biggest reach uh, comes from uh, down on the bayou, uh, Peyton Turner at pick number 28. Here's what I don't like about Peyton Turner being picked there. Aziz Ojolari and Gregory Russo were both still on the board in that spot. And Joe Tryon, Tryon uh, Odafe Owe, yeah. um, who, it's not Jason anymore, it's Odafe now, he, yeah. he said I don't care if you can't pronounce my name, figure it out, <laughs> we're going by Odafe, so um, Odafe Owe. call him Odafe, I call him Odafe. I, I don't, I think Peyton Turner is a potentially solid, like, every down kind of defensive end, I don't think he's going to create the kind of edge pressure you could get out of those three names that we brought up already. Right. I'm not a big fan of this pick here at this point with those players still on the board, yeah. and that's why I consider this one a reach. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that um, I was surprised when I saw his name come off. Obviously, he's the Bills. I was hoping for a corner or an edge player, and when I saw him go, I was like, take him. Like that—that that doesn't hurt by uh, the guys I have on my short list here. So take him. That should have been Elijah Moore in that spot. They should have replaced Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, maybe Elijah Moore still on the board in that spot. Um, Gregory Russo, if you want to go with the most upside guy, or O.A., yeah. you know you don't have an immediate impact need there. I know Trey Hendrickson left, but again, I'll be surprised if Trey Hendrickson has a repeat of his last year's season. He was he had the opposite side of you Cameron like Jordan or Scho- sex there. Yeah. Yep, stat so, created by me. Yep. So yeah, mine. I, I'm up. Yeah, go ahead. Who do you like or not like? like? Um, I'm going with Jamin Davis. Picked at number 19 for the Washington football team. Uh, he's a good linebacker. I mean, he's definitely drafted early. I think uh, we would all agree that he should be picked. And uh, I have him as a day two pick. And just to give a little... Picked at 19 overall. Pro Football Focus had him graded as the 41st player overall. The Draft Network had him at the 76th player overall. I think there's a couple of things with him that are are just make him devalued in today's NFL. Right. And he's a bit of a, you know, stiff, run-stopping linebacker. And to get that at 19 is a little little concerning for where their head's at. I get Ron Rivera's looking for a guy that reminds him of someone else. But Luke Keekly. this is not that guy. This is yeah. not Luke Keekley He might see something there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I- I, I do trust his evaluation. One of the things that I want to talk about before we talk about our favorite third round or our favorite day. Don't three not So this is something that, that just stood out to me when I was looking at some of the drafts of yeah. these guys. I like Urban Meyer and Matt Rule's draft classes this okay. year. And I think that there could be something to guys who are uh, traditionally college coaches. Matt Rule was involved in the recruitment process. For when all of these guys were going through their recruitment to come to college, right? Sure. He saw these guys early on. He saw them in college as he scouted opposing teams. He has a, I think he has his ear to the ground on that stuff for the first few years of your NFL tenure. I think that a coach that was in college may have a little bit of an edge at knowing more or having more details. You know, they've got scouts in homes. Yeah. Uh, as college players, they you know, they're visiting these players. I think that there could be something to that. When I go through, let's talk about Carolina's draft a little bit because, they, like I said, the only disqualifier for me from making this my favorite draft class was the J.C. Horn pick there. But again, it's something where it's a fit that he saw and he liked, so I can't really hate him too much for it. But when I go through these names, Terrace Marshall in the second round, I think... I'm just going to say this. I nailed it last year with Justin Jefferson being the best receiver out of that class yeah. after after the draft when I said Rookie of the Year potential. After I thought about fit and everything else, I thought Justin Jefferson was was the best fit and, and best potential to win Rookie of the Year. And then Justin Herbert broke records. but Yeah, and um, your heart. Yeah, so Brady Christensen from BYU. I mean, really good tackle, and, and he's going to be a plug-and-play option there for them. And then Tommy Tremble, who is a run-blocking beast and he didn't have really yeah, didn't have an opportunity really to catch a ton of passes, but his athleticism and his physicality show me that he could turn into something more than that at the next level. They had Chuba Hubbard, which gives you a change of pace. He's your straight line, you know, attack downfield, running he was back. Awesome at Oak State. Yeah, and you add him with Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. And you've got an opportunity to spell McCaffrey with somebody who's going to just hit the hole with lightning speed and power, right? Yeah. Then you go Davion Nixon, one of the best D tackles in the draft in the fifth round. Keith Taylor, the corner from Washington, who I think will work out really well. Deontay Brown, a big, nasty interior offensive lineman from Alabama. You cannot stress big. Yeah. The man's a giant. Shai Smith, in the end of the sixth round, who is a playmaker throughout yeah. his career at South Carolina. He's going to move into the NFL, and he's going to make plays there, too. He's going to be a slot, yeah. scary speed guy. Absolutely. So, you know, when I go through their first six rounds of this draft... And the long snapper in the sixth round. Thomas Fletcher, yeah. You know. it's, it's a position. You don't have one. You need one. Yeah. So, you know, when you when you look at their draft, I think he had his ear to the ground. He went with all big school guys. I don't see any small school guys here. There's SEC guys, there's, you know, BYU, you know, independent, Notre Dame independent, but those schools play good competition. um, And Pac-12 selections. So I think that there's something to these guys. Now let's talk about Jacksonville's draft, Tom. Um, I know you had it called up there a moment ago. Um, I can pull it up here in front of me. Well, they got a guy at number one. He's not bad, right? He seems alright. Yeah, he seems like he could be okay at the next level. Um, then they you go got to project it, though. They go up Travis ATM And I had, a, I had a big fight with some of the guys um, in a college football group from the College Football Bros podcast about the value of running back uh, being selected at this point. I'm more of, of the mindset that it's okay to select a running back in the first round if he adds the biggest value to your team, if that position, that need. So if the other options were on the offensive line and they saw someone else that they liked on the offensive line better that they could get later, it's okay to select running back here. This is not a popular opinion, but it's a fight that I'll continue to have with people throughout the course of time, and we'll see how it shakes out You know, as we go down the road. Everyone wants to say, well, running backs don't win championships, um, I understand that. Neither does any other position besides quarterback. So when you look at their draft as a whole, Travis Etienne at 25, Tyson Campbell, who's you know potentially an uh, explosive corner moving forward, right? He's, he's uh, 6'1", 193. He probably fits the mold of what Urban Meyer likes. Walker Little, this is a guy who was going to be the top tackle prospect a couple of years ago. Yep. Yeah. Until he had some injuries, then he sat out, opted out. Um, and, you know, this could be a huge upside guy. I love Andre Sisco. Yeah.
1: It's like Hawk. a train.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jay Tufelli at uh, the first pick of the fourth round. Uh, Jordan Smith from UAB. Um, he's known as one of the higher upside small school guys that you can ask for. Yeah. And then he goes back home to Luke Farrell at Ohio State, right? I think Where, he recruited him if I remember yeah. correctly, right? Yeah, so he's going to know a lot about Luke Farrell and his game and whether he can help them. And uh, his last pick was Jalen Camp from Georgia Tech, a wide receiver, um, who you know obviously went to Georgia Tech probably prior to their transition out of the option offense that they were running. Um, So you know they see something there, and I just I think that maybe there's something to these college guys potentially drafting really well. Maybe it ends up being really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you like it so They fun. draft names that I really love when I go through the, the guys who have been involved in college football and now are at the NFL level making these decisions. As you're talking about it, it reminds, it makes me think a little bit, and the one thing that stands out to me is um, the way Coach Belichick and Coach Saban talk so much, right? Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe it's just not as uh, newsworthy, but I wonder how many head coaches in the NFL – have college coaches that they respect enough that they are having conversations frequently about these kids. Because, again, it is obviously a huge investment. They're paying these people millions of dollars and even more of an investment in just the value of the pick and all that. Their careers um, are on the line. So I wonder how many of those NFL coaches have, and, and GMs even, have guys that they like trust from a player personnel standpoint. I mean, you know that if they're picking Trevor Lawrence that everyone's calling Dabo and be like, hey, what can you tell me about him? Right. We get that that happens, but I just wonder if there's another relationship similar to the Saban-Belichick out there that we just don't know about because they're not Saban-Belichick. Yeah, the thing with the guys who are recently removed from college football is that they have all those connections still in play. Oh, absolutely. You know know that uh, Urban Meyer is still talking to Coach Day about what's going on on the recruiting trail with some of these guys. So, I think they, there could be a pipeline there for them in understanding kind of what they saw in these prospects early on. Yeah, there's a good chance that Matt Rule or um, Urban Meyer sat in some of these kids' living room at some point right. and talked to their parents. So, um, I definitely see where that could be interesting. Yeah. You know, to see, uh, I want to do some investigating journalism and get Absolutely. some of these coaches on the horn Go, be like, hey, yeah who you talked to at the college level, what's up? No doubt. So, now. Diggity. <laughs> I Again, just something that came to my mind. Yeah. Like, um, let's uh, let's talk about our favorite Day 3 draft pick, Tom. Who do you have for me that you loved on Day 3? Day 3, this oh. is someone who I think has a huge upside, and they went into a spot where it really gives them a chance to, to use that upside, and that's kind of what I was looking for. And this is a late Day 3. This is a 6-rounder, the 32nd pick in the 6th round, number 216, Quincy Roche going to Pittsburgh. Yeah. This guy had a lot of production. Um, let me bring it back up. A lot of production in ta- Temple, like 39 tackles for loss, 26 sacks. Then he goes to Miami. Um, he's a bit of a what? A, what a, the tweener, as they like to say. But at Pittsburgh, that's what they like. They yeah. play that three-four. They have that strong side outside linebacker, rushing the passer, setting the edge, um, doing all those kind of things. And I think that's perfect for him he's going to be able to use his skill set to the best of his ability in that defense. And I think, so you have a a big upside player um, who didn't have the, his best season last year at Miami after doing very well at Temple, and I think that, that's, that's going to be a learning curve for upping the uh, the talent level, such a big adjustment. Now as he gets to Pittsburgh, not a lot of pressure as a six-round pick, but the fit is there for that position. Yeah. I mean, and that all makes a, a ton of sense to me. Uh, I think that's a really good selection here, Tom. And, and I'm going to go with a guy who also went in the sixth round yeah. and even later than your guy. Come on. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that Daz Newsome fell down the board because of athletic testing, and I think it was a big mistake. Yeah. Daz Newsome was a constant highlight reel throughout his college career at UNC. He plays wide receiver, for those who don't know him. he Because he didn't test well athletically... Um, he didn't run fast. He didn't particularly have like his short shuttle times and all yeah. of that stuff didn't show explosive. No. He doesn't measure high. He's 5'10", 190. All of those things did not you know, stand out on people's boards. What does stand out is someone's production on the football field. He played against good football teams in, throughout his college career. And he continuously produced and performed and made dazzling plays. Get it? Dazzling plays? Oh, no. boy. Yeah. Dazzling place throughout his college career. I refuse to, to knock someone down off the draft board. I saw like Lance Erline um, had him like a seventh round projection. Guys, there there's a comes a point in the draft, and I think it's somewhere around round four, where you have to discount some of the athletic testing stuff if things if guys didn't perform extraordinarily well. You have to make a determination. Can this guy play on the football field? Sometimes I think that gets overlooked through the draft process, and this is the point in the draft where you can kind of start washing that stuff away a little bit. Did, let me find super productive guys in rounds 5, 6, and 7, 4, five, six, seven, all through there, right, Tom? I, I don't want to necessarily—you can also go the other direction with it, and you can look for athletic freaks who didn't produce at the college level and think that you can you know, get, get something out on. of them. I think that's Ugh. a much bigger bust rate, right? Oh, sure. It, but it's also a much bigger boom rate, more than likely. Um, but I think in order to have a good draft and a good roster, you got to have a little of everything. You can't just have guys. Nobody, Nobody's going to have a roster full of guys who have great athleticism and great production in college. Yeah. Not, not everyone goes in the first round. That's just not how it works. Yeah. So I think it's smart to fill your roster with a little both. Uh, that's you know it's interesting. Bill Parcells had a had a statement back in the day where he said, uh, "If you start making exceptions, before you know it, you have a roster full of exceptions." Yeah. So you have to be careful with it for sure. Yeah. If you start saying, it, it, it depends on how you're setting your guidelines. Are you going to say, my player must have produced to a certain level yeah. in college? Fine. My player must run four four five if I'm going to draft him at corner. No exceptions. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that Parcells would set in place when sure. he was constructing rosters. With the Bills on their arm length for corners, right? And you know, certain teams with like their the Dolphins have size numbers that they typically stand to in uh, the offensive line. Yeah, but they didn't do it that with Liam Eikenberg. He's not big. He's he's not an extraordinarily large offensive lineman. He's big compared to normal human beings, but. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> amongst draft prospects he wouldn't be considered one of the larger offensive line prospects but you know to me I think that sometimes it's okay to look outside of the box that you live in yeah. and find something and to me Daz Newsom at pick 41 of round 6 you know those compensatory picks that they have yeah. down the line there I just 225 overall or something like that and I think this is a guy that can produce at the next level I think this is a guy that that kind of fits what they need there. They've got Allen Robinson on the outside, and uh, Anthony Miller's kind of on the outs there, and I think they're looking to move on from him. And I think Daz Newsom can jump right into that role. Um, I, I kind of like him here. So Yeah. I mean, you, you have to, at the end of the draft, you have to decide, am I picking traits or am I picking guys who are good who are good football players? Um, because you're, you're not going to find guys that are both. In the fifth, sixth, or seventh round, those guys are gone. So let's run just real quick before we wrap. I just want to talk about some of the names as we, um, as we look at the end of the draft, Tom. Um, so going through rounds like six and five, six and seven, just tell me what your names that stand out to you as we go through this that were still there at this point in the draft. Okay. So, you know, when I when I go through it, I want to get to those rounds first and foremost. That's that's important. Uh, Brevin Jordan's the first one for me. Um, I loved him. I think his his ability after the catch at tight end. He went um, in the fifth round, uh, pick one forty seven to the Texans. I think he has a lot of upside, a lot of ability to run after the catch, which should be a lot of fun in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, here's one that stands out to me. Chris Evans, coming out of Michigan, I think that he fits all of the the profiles of a good running back at the next level. And I think he fits in that room in Cincinnati really well in the sixth round uh, with Joe Mixon and Samaje P Pirine. Um, I think he has the opportunity to maybe steal steal that backup job from Pirine. Um, yeah. I like his uh, potential here moving to the next level. To Daryl Slayton um, in the fifth round to the Packers, D-tackle out of Florida. He's a guy that I think is going to be a nose tackle in the NFL, maybe a one tech D-tackle, and just really, really anchor. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was asked to do a ton of that in Florida. They run a little bit of an attack style in defense. But I think in the NFL he's going to be able to do that, and I think the Packers got to steal with him at 173. Um, another one in the fifth round. I know Kev loves this guy, K.J. Britt. Yeah. Linebacker out of Auburn, 176 to the Buccaneers. Just You know, you want to see a football player and a linebacker who's just making plays, hitting ball carriers, where he needs to be. Uh, That's who you're looking at right there. Trey Smith at 226 to Kansas City. The guy is a a consistent performer for Tennessee for four years and falls due to health concerns. It's really sad to see health concerns like that slide somebody down the board that much, but he had the blood clot issues and so forth throughout his throughout his college career, so it's scary to teams to invest yeah. in, in someone like that. But this is a guy who could absolutely be he could be a Pro Bowl caliber player. He's got that kind of talent. And then, you know, I just, just want to get on my soapbox for a second here. Oh, boy. Tell me how a guy who produces like Jarrett Patterson does, goes undrafted in the NFL draft. Can you guys get off the frickin' measurables for two seconds and take a look at the football field? Watch him run through tackles, watch him break into the open field. Watch him score seven, eight touchdowns in a game against teams. there's I mean to me that the devaluation of players because they play in the Mac or because their side they're only five seven and, and you know guys, these limitations yeah. that you put on people and you don't look at that productivity, you made a mistake here. uh, 31 teams made a mistake here. And the Washington football team, you know, Patterson's from Maryland. He can go to his home area in the DMV, play for the Washington football team, and he fits really well with what they're going to need there, you know. You've got Antonio Gibson, who's kind of like a a do-it-all, kind of catch-the-ball guy. Jarrett Patterson has an opportunity to jump in here and perform for the Washington football team early as an undrafted free agent. And it just it it just pisses me off a little bit to see stuff like that, to see a guy, a local guy, a UB guy just get completely disrespected despite the performance that he put on on the field week in and week out. Guys, don't take him down. The first guy never takes him down, you know. Yeah. He he breaks tackles, he gets in the open field and he takes it to the house. He finishes runs, he gets into the end zone when they're in the goal line situations. Like how on earth does somebody like that go seven rounds without getting picked? When you see guys that are borderline embarrassing performers on the football field getting drafted, you know what I mean? It's it's like, I, I just, it, it blows yeah. my mind for Patterson to go undrafted. And the one stat that I saw during the draft that's crazy, just a segue to this, that, you know, this doesn't mean much. Patterson's in the NFL, he's, he's on a team now, um... So now it's up to him to kind of make the most of it. There are more undrafted free agents in the NFL Hall of Fame than first overall picks. So, one, yes, I know that there's more players who are undrafted than first right. overall. But that means, you know, the NFL draft has been shortened to seven rounds. It used to be, what, 12, yeah. 15 rounds? So a lot more guys were drafted then. We're talking a ton of, of people, and there's more undrafted than than first overall picks. It doesn't matter where you come from, where you get picked. Yeah. If these guys are good, they will they'll rise to the top of the NFL. They'll, they'll make it happen. Um, it's disappointing to see someone who put in all that work and performed the way that he did throughout his college career have to sign an undrafted free agent contract with the yes. Washington Football Team and and not get any of the the guarantees of being a draft selection. So that's the part that I guess really it it really bugs me to see somebody who performs how how often do you see someone who is the leading rusher in the nation undrafted it it doesn't make any sense to me like i is it all body fit is it all because he was at a smaller school i mean this is a division 1 college football team guys this is not division 3 we're not looking at Wisconsin-Whitewater here we're looking at the UB Bulls you know they're they're playing football teams they've played Penn State tough twice now yeah, it, this isn't this isn't just some run of the mill tiny program, and I don't understand the reasoning for a player like Patterson to to be completely dismissed. Yeah, I mean it, it's weird. Uh, I know that they're saying he's short at five six and a half, but lots of NFL running backs are five nine or shorter. Um, that happens a lot. What do you you're running the football and you're yeah. not. He he literally is running the football. Height should be a complete. It should be. He could be four foot four, and it wouldn't matter. And his like, forty time is well within acceptable range at four five two, four five three, and four five four in the three times he ran it. Yeah, those are all acceptable. at a running Absolutely. Running position. Um, they thought he was going to be four seven or something, and then he runs in the four fives. That's not enough. No, nope, we're not. We're still not going to do it. Like, wh- what is wrong with you guys? Yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I just can't help but be uh, blown away by this one. And this is one that I hope comes back to haunt a lot of teams in the NFL. I hope that Patterson goes on to have a Pro Bowl caliber career um, because I think it's very possible. Yeah, I think running back is a, is a spot where guys get banged up and, and, and these undrafted guys or late round picks can actually get a, get a shot to, to really star. I think the wide receiver becomes a little more difficult. Those guys don't seem to miss as many games. There's usually a bunch of you, but if you can run the rock, you're gonna get a chance at some point. He's going to get a chance at some point, whether it's here in Washington, which I think is a good spot to start with. I think this guy could climb the, the depth chart there very quickly. The yeah. you know the question is, can he figure out? A, is he gonna be a good pass blocker? Is he sure. you know a third down back? Is he gonna catch the ball? They didn't ask him to do that. Those are the things that drive him down a board. But the guy runs the ball better than anyone in college football last year based on total numbers, right? Right. Based on the six games that he played. Granted, he, he's not Najee Harris, probably. Right. But I bet you he could have the same career as somebody like Najee Harris if he's given the opportunity. Barry Sanders was, what, 5'8", 5'7". Yeah, half. I guess Barry, Barry Sanders actually messaged him after it and told him to keep his head up. And yeah. Small guys like us kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean... I'm not calling Jarrett Patterson Barry Sanders. Please mm. don't. Don't say that. But what I am saying is that he deserved better than what he got over the weekend. He deserved that moment with his family more than anything. So, you know. But congratulations, Malcolm Kuntz at UB. He goes in the third round to the Las Vegas Raiders who, who like UB guys. But they do. If it worked once, let's try it again. Yeah. All so, right. All right. Um, that's it for this week. Uh, next week should be... Uh, you know we're we're kind of in a we're getting to the season where we're going to be talking more baseball and and uh, basketball and hockey playoffs potentially coming up here. Big night next week though. So on our pod night, it's one yeah. of Tom Abbey's favorite nights of the week. If you remember uh, May twelfth, May twelfth, eight p.m. NFL schedule is released. all oh, the schedule releases next week. Well, perfect. perfect. That's the season takes hold, the schedule release will happen as we are on the air preparing. I may or may not be distracted at times. It is one of my favorite, favorite nights of the year. Says the guy who literally gave the pick of Joaquin Neiman after I gave it. I trying to read, man. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, that'll be a wrap for this week. Look back to get. Look forward to getting back with you next week. Um, have a great week, everybody, and. Uh, you know, let's catch some winners this weekend. Let's let's get some Twitter winners out this weekend. Twitter That's winners, what you say absolutely. Twitter winners uh, at Hammered underscore Sports on Twitter. Uh, we'll catch you guys later.